You're listening to The Course Young Adults Podcast. The Course is a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, Miami. Here's a teaching from one of our Monday night services. We hope it encourages you and equips you to run your race well for Jesus. For more info on how you can join us in person, listen until the end of the podcast. Now, grab your Bible and let's dive in. You guys could please turn to Titus chapter 1. And who was Titus? So the Bible doesn't really talk a lot about Titus. Um, what it does say in Galatians 2.3, it tells us that he was a man from Greece. So he was a Greek. He became a co-worker with Paul. In Titus 1.4, Paul calls him a true son in our common faith. And in 2 Corinthians 8.23, it says, If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 7, um, it tells us that Titus returned to Paul from Corinth and stating the good news about Corinth, about the church there. And then at the end of 2 Timothy, which we just finished, it says that Titus leaves for Dalmatia. And then in this portion of scripture, Titus is in this island, it's called Crete. It's located in Greece. So some of the difficulties that Titus faced is being a Greek island, they believed in the Greek gods. So they believed in the majority of the gods were born on their island. And a man became God through their works. So they primary, primarily worshipped Zeus. And they were known to be liars. Um, Paul quotes in verse 12, it's a Cretan prophet, it says, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lacy gluttons. And looking at, at Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, these are two men that he mentored, that he discipled. And we see some similarities. We see that the fight against the poor teachings, and we see the instructions given to the church. And Paul is writing to Titus to describe proper leadership, the proper Christian living, and the gospel as the source of godliness, which are the things that we still deal with today, right? Today we have different churches, different teachings, and different, different biblical views. But our view on the Bible should be the same, that it is the word of God, right? You can't add and you can't subtract. So we'll dive into verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. And Paul addresses himself as a bondservant first and then as an apostle. So that word bondservant is a person who serves in bondage, a slave, a person bound to service without wages. And then a slave can only serve one master, right? Jesus tells us you can only have one master. Either you're going to love one, hate the other. And Paul is expressing that he is a slave of God, having one master. And on earth, the only thing that could separate Paul from being a bondservant of God was death. And then if we turn to Exodus 21.1, we're going to see there the laws concerning servants. And verse 1, it says, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant... He shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, 
he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go, shall, shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. And then this is verse five. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awe and he shall serve him forever. And this is what basically what Paul has done, right? He wants to serve his master. He's declared that the Lord is his master, that he is a bondservant for the Lord. So if we turn back to Titus. So here we see in, in Crete, some called the Christians, but wanted a little of Sue's too, right? They wanted what the world had to offer. They wanted the women, they wanted the drinking, and they wanted the violence. They wanted to fulfill the desires of their heart. And if we are truly bondservants of God, we cannot want what this world has to offer. We cannot be dabbling in sin, and we cannot be lukewarm. And then in verse 1 where it says, um, the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. That's a two-step process. So basically step one is that you have knowledge of the truth, knowing how God wants us to live our lives. We cannot live according to God's word if we don't know what his word says, right? And similar to how we have laws to keep order. We have those laws and we must know the laws in order to what? Keep order, right? To just know the laws and know exactly what we can and we can't do. But let me ask you a question. Does the law keep anyone from robbing a bank? No. People still rob banks. So we have the word of God to direct us, to guide us on our behaviors and conduct. And that step two is applying the word to our lives. We can know the Bible cover to cover, but we, can, but we need to apply the scripture in our lives. And what good is it if we know it, but we can't apply it? That does nothing for us. So if we could turn to Philippians 3.17... And we pick up in verse 17 where it says, Brethren, join in the following in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And that verse, for many walk, but they don't walk in a godly manner. Because they do not deny themselves. They set their minds on earthly things, not on heavenly things. So we can go back to Titus on verse 2. And it says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. And God cannot lie. It is against his very nature to sin. How can he lie? Right? But if you're writing to a group of expected liars, you know, you have to put that in the fine print. And... The biblical hope mentioned in this verse is not the hope we use today. Today we use hope as a wish, as a desire, as a dream, right? We say, I hope this team wins the Super Bowl. I hope this team wins the finals. I hope I get the job. But the, the hope that Paul's speaking about is a hope that is certain, a hope that the promise here is that we as believers have eternal life after death. So Jesus, a sinless man, spoke on eternal life. He said in John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 14, 3, Jesus said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And John tells us in 1 John 5, 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So we pick back in verse 3, and it says, But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which has committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And how did Jesus manifest the word of God? Through preaching, right? He went out and he preached. So the word of God became flesh. And we can now gather and we can now study here all together. And a preacher shouldn't be teaching from his heart. He shouldn't add, he shouldn't sub subtract from the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 2, 4, it says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And here Paul states that his ministry of the gospel was committed to him. It doesn't say that it was his choice. So how then will we reach the people if we don't preach the gospel. And can you guys turn to Romans 10, 14? Verse 14 where it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And... This reminds me of Luke 9.59, where Jesus said to one man, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And then Jesus replied, and he said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And that's what Christ has commanded us, to go and preach the kingdom of God. So it's just amazing how Jesus came in the era that he came, the location that he came, how people tried to suppress the word how they plotted against Jesus, and he prevailed, right? We, we have the Bible, we're studying the Bible, and people just tried so hard for that not to get out, and we still have it to this day. And it's still speaking, it's still speaking into our lives. So can we go back to Titus in verse 4? And it says, To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Paul is writing to Titus, his own son in the faith. This is a man that Paul has discipled, just like Timothy, right? They've gone together, and we don't read about Titus in the book of Acts, but here we can see about his character and his personality. And Paul, Paul must have seen something special in Titus when he sent him on this mission, right? Because Paul is not going to send anybody. And then in verse 5 it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Most scholars believe that Paul, he journeyed with Titus to Crete and left them there to put things in order. And studying for this, you know, I, I resonate with Titus. You know, um, he was journeying with Paul, who, you know, is an experienced believer. He's gone on a bunch of trips and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, Zach is out of town, and then he asked me to teach. 
And this is my first time. And then I'm like, you're going you're gonna to pick me? Like, and he's like, yeah, man, you know, go for it. And I was like, okay. So it, it's hard. You know, I resonate with him. And, um, and I just want to take a moment and ask you guys, like, where does the Lord have you in this season? And the Lord had Titus in a rough place. He was surrounded by liars, lukewarm Christians, non-believers, and should sound very familiar to where we live. Should sound very familiar to Miami, right? We're so filled with sin, and it just gets worse and worse. And the task the Lord gave Titus was to set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. And that's not an easy task, like at all. And what is the Lord asking you today? Quite honest, I, I don't like Miami. I always talk about it with Erica, and we're always like, if you were to move, where would you move? And I'm like, Central Florida. I don't want to be with anybody. I don't want to see my neighbors. But this is where the Lord has me. The Lord has me in Miami. And quite honest, I think that, you know, a lot of times we don't want to be where the Lord has us. We want to see, we want to, we're in 2023, we're like, we can't wait for 2024. Or if not, we're thinking about 2021. And we need to think about the present about the task that the Lord has given us. And when the Lord calls you, are you going to stand firm or are you going to run? And I know this is difficult. I've been there. You know, you have the dream, the, the dream job, you have the marriage, and then the Lord calls an audible. And the schedule change happens. And you're telling the Lord, no, Lord, this is not how it's supposed to happen. Sometimes God, God calls you to the last place you want to go or the most inconvenient place because someone there needs to hear the gospel. And God wants to use you. For example, in John 4, 4, the verse tells us that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. At this point in time, Samaria was the place on earth where the Jews didn't want to go. But Jesus had a divine appointment with the woman at the well. And perhaps you are the Samaritan person who currently needs Jesus. And you think he will never come your way. And I encourage you, just be still. And when he knocks, you open the door. Perhaps you're here and you want strength to be a Titus, or you don't know what your mission is. You're wondering, just, I encourage you, get alone with the Lord and ask him, Lord, what is it that you want from me? What is my calling? We all have a purpose in life. We're all not just here to breathe and then to die. We're here for a purpose. In verse 6, it says, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. So here Paul explains to Titus the behavior that he should be looking for in men to become bishops. Are we blameless? No. You can ask my wife. I'm, no bl I'm not blameless by no means at all. Other illustrations say above reproach. Men who have integrity, a good record, without crime. But Paul is speaking of character. Paul doesn't talk about education, talent, or intelligence. When God is looking for leaders, he is looking at the heart. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And many times we believe that we, can, that we have to change our ways for the Lord to use us. We just say, man, if I can just have what so-and-so has, if I can just be like so-and-so, and the Lord wants to use you, and he's going to change you. No one that comes to the ministry is perfect. 
having one wife that's not a guy that sleeps around. He's not talking about a man whose wife has passed away and remarried. He's just talking about a man that it just goes from one woman to the other. And but a man who desires, you know, to raise godly kids. A man who manages his household well. A man who does not indulge in wastefulness, but rather unaccused. In verse 7 it says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed and not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just holy, self-controlled. And growing in a Hispanic household, this was so different. It was contrary to what it's saying. Right? It was a man has to know how to fight. You got to have many women. You have to be aggressive. You have to be loud. So, you know, growing up, I grew up Catholic. I didn't grow up as a Christian. Um, my family, basically, we went to church every once in a while. And um, I played baseball growing up, and I always kept God in a box. And I always said, you know, Lord, just let me get this hit. Let me get on base. And then when the game was done, God went back into that box. Right. And then um, I was in the police academy and I met a very special person who's dear to me to this day. And uh, he told me, he's like, hey, man, if one person knows Jesus because of my life, I'm good. And I was like, this guy's crazy. I was like, oh, my goodness, like one your life for one person. And then I started coming to Chop- Calvary Chapel, Miami. And um we came together, we attended together for about a year, and then this is my rookie year, and um, schedule changes, stuff like that, just a bunch of excuses. I, um, I stopped coming, right, and, um, and God went back into that box, and I went back into the world, and, you know, I was relationship, toxic relationship, and um, just indulging of what the world had to offer, and I just looked back, and I felt like that prodigal son. I felt like, I looked and I said, man, the servants in my, in my father's house eat better than what I'm eating. And I was, I was in a good, a good place, you know, so to speak. Um, I had some of my coworkers when I first came back to the Lord and they were like, hey man, like, what, what are you doing? Like, usually people go to church when they have cancer, when they have this, when they have that, but you know, you're good. I had just bought my house. I had remodeled my house and this is not to boast, but, you know, it was just like I was in a good season. And I thank the Lord every day that I wasn't in a bad season, that he didn't put me in a hospital bed for me to recognize that my life was going down the drain, right? But it was just, okay, this is what I have to do. I have to continue to serve the Lord. And, men, I encourage you guys, right? If you guys don't have a calling, if you guys feel like your life is just going away, just get away with the Lord, get alone with him, and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Some of the things you guys should take away from this passage, uh, we're going to break up into small groups in just a second, is being a bondservant for the Lord. The only way you're going to be a bondservant for the Lord is staying close to him, by actually spending time with him, so you can know his voice, study his word, to exhort and convict your own lives. If you don't spend time with him, God is just a stranger to you, and you are a stranger to God. And I know it's hard. We always talk about this in the small groups. Every time we get in small groups, uh, the main question I would say is, how do I spend more time with the Lord? How do I spend more time in prayer 
and how do I stay more time in the word? And a person once told me, like, you want to be a good runner? And I was like, yeah. They're like, okay, just run. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, keep running. So how are we going to be good in the word? We got to keep reading it. We got to make time for that. We got to put away the distractions and we have to get alone with the Lord. Because if we keep on, then we're never going to do it. We're always going to have excuses. I myself come up with a bunch of excuses. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I got home late. Oh, this happened. But we have to stop putting excuses. Um, Point number two is continue the pursuit to remain blameless. You won't always be blameless, but if you stumble, you just get back up. The enemy lies to you and reminds you of that one mistake. Hey, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? But guys, this will keep you away from the Lord. This is going to keep your attention away from him. And that's exactly what he wants. He wants you to feel that shame. He wants you to be distant from the Lord. And he doesn't want you to get close to the Lord. Why? Because misery loves company. And if the enemy could just take one person to hell... That, that's his goal. It doesn't matter who it is. That's his goal. So, guys, um, we're going to head and pray. So, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. Um, just thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. And, Lord, we just pray that just this teaching, Lord, just resonates, Lord, that if we have to get alone with you, Lord, that if we have to just become a bond servant, Lord, then, Lord, allow us to do it. Give us the strength, Lord, to just get alone with you. Lord, I ask you what it is that you have in our lives. So, Lord, we just pray for the small sessions and small group, Lord. Pray for everyone. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Course Young Adults podcast. We hope you were blessed by this episode. If you're in the Miami area, we'd love to see you at our in-person Bible study on Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. You can visit calvarymiami.com slash youngadults for more information and make sure to follow us on our socials to stay up to date with all things young adults.